Welcome back to the Future of Feeling podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Ugalik Phillips, and I'm bringing you interviews with some great minds helping build empathy in our tech-obsessed world. Today's show comes with a quick warning. We talk about needle sticks and other medical procedures, so if that's not your jam, feel free to skip this one. Evelyn Chan is a doctor in Australia, and she's also CEO of a company called SmileyScope. They make needle experiences a little less scary for kids and less stressful for their parents and doctors using VR. I think SmileyScope is another good example of tech that isn't meant to replace human empathy, but can help amplify it and actually add to certain human relationships. Here's my interview with Dr. Chan. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us what you do and how you got into technology? Sure. So, I mean, I'm Evelyn Chan. I'm a pediatric physician, um, sort of trained in, in Melbourne, Australia. And I really got into tech by seeing patients who were petrified of seeing me as a doctor. So uh, one of the main things that they kept asking about was, you know, do I need to get a shot today or do I need a blood test? They were really petrified by the needle. And so, you know, started developing techniques around how to keep them calm and engaged and interested and really felt, you know, how can we make this scalable and something that we can kind of replicate regardless of whether you're in a big tertiary pediatric hospital or whether you're kind of in a very rural tiny clinic um, in the middle of the night how can we have a great experience regardless and so technology was a really interesting way to do that and so we started developing a specific virtual reality technology that helps improve patient experience and reframe that sensation of um, pain and anxiety. Can you describe what it's like for a patient when they're using the technology? Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of specific science behind it, but what we wanted to make sure from the patient perspective, particularly with children, is that they had a really enjoyable experience and they didn't feel like, you know, it was something that they had to do. It was something that they were going to actually enjoy doing. Um, so they pop on a virtual reality headset and it takes them on an underwater adventure where they can look at fish and interact with them and see waves washing over their arms. And that's when, um, you know, there's a cleaning with antiseptic that happens and then fish come in and nibble. And that's kind of when we're putting the needle in as a clinician um, and drawing that blood. Uh, and then they go on a dolphin ride, which is often their favorite part, mm -hmm. um, which kind of ends a positive note. So for them, it's kind of a really uh, exciting underwater adventure, which keeps them engaged. And, um, you know, often they take off the headset and they don't even know that the blood test has happened. That's amazing. Can you talk a little bit about how, how that's possible? What's kind of happening in the brain, I guess, to, you know, be able to get a needle prick and not even realize it? Yeah, we've built in a number of um, both uh, cognitive behavioral but also uh, like uh, visual and sort of sensory reframing around the technology so that children know that they're still getting the needle um, but you know that they can think about it differently and so essentially when they do look down at their arms they can see waves washing over their arms and we encourage them to reimagine um, the antiseptic wash in that way and so it gives them that additional sort of strength and, uh, you know, visuals that they can kind of help with their imagination when they're really stressed about something that's happening. I'm just thinking about how difficult it's been to watch my young daughter 
get her shots. She's about 10 months old, so she's probably too young for a VR headset, but maybe someday she'll be able to benefit from this kind of thing. Yeah, that's definitely the aim. Um, and, and you're right, parents also feel a lot of anxiety and being almost, almost complicit when they have to help hold their child down for these types of procedures. And so they've also reported that giving a, um, a child the ability to have something that can support and kind of change it to be a much more positive procedure has also really helped their um, you know, anxiety and feelings of guilt around it as well. So you've developed this product with empathy for kids, patients, and also their parents. And I know that when we spoke in the past, when I interviewed you for my book, you talked about how it's really for the doctors um, and nurses as well. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, as a clinician myself, you know, we really developed this to make ourselves feel better, to have a tool that we could offer patients. Um, And there. You know, I think for a lot of clinicians, we found that they feel much better being able to provide and offer a solution that alleviates the patient's anxiety. Um, this really helps the healthcare professional feel like they, they can support and help. Um, and also, interestingly, um, in COVID times, we found that we actually let um, health practitioners know that they can also have time out. So we've expanded the experiences so that there's meditation and relaxation as well. And they're really glad to hear that, you know, we acknowledge that they work really hard and they need to look after themselves and they'll often take Smiloscope on their coffee breaks or if they're having a bad day just to have, you know, two minutes on a virtual vacation just to feel a little bit more rejuvenated when they come back out. Oh, wow. So they can use the same device that they've been using for their patients and kind of use it on themselves to take a breather when they need one? That's right. Yeah, they have been using it that way as well, which has been really interesting. So let's talk about the pandemic. How has that affected you and your work um, as a pediatric clinician and also with SmileyScope? I know that um, I think things are a little bit different in Australia than in the U.S., but Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has been a huge public health issue that we all face, hasn't it? And it has been really tragic with lives lost and the suffering and, you know, the stress that it, 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 um, you know, the patients come to us very distressed about COVID um, and it's taken sort of a toll on on everyone. Um, From a digital health and technology perspective, it's really been very mixed. So we've had challenges of social distancing and health systems under stress um, and introducing innovations in that time is always difficult. Um, But at the same time, you know, we're seeing, you know, that adoption of digital health has grown uh, light years uh, from what we'd expected. People are starting to pick up, you know, telehealth is is second nature now and uh, all these different technologies that can support. So, you know, for us, we've worked um, to support as best we can uh, we've been working in mass vaccination clinics to help reduce anxiety for people who have needle anxiety. Uh, we've been supporting some programs around self-injectables in the home. Um, and sort of just, uh, as we said, clinicians who just need some time out. And then also increasing sort of efficiencies in other procedures like medical imaging and, um, you know, longer procedures as well. So. Tell me more about the self-injection piece. 
Yeah, so some of the feedback that we notice, particularly in uh, patients with diabetes or biologics who have to give themselves injections um, at home, that it, it was quite a lot of uh, nervousness around it. And and so we developed a mobile application where uh, you can talk through a self-injectable on the phone and you can interact with it in a much more um, uh, practical manner. So you can actually spin the injectable around so you get comfortable with which is the right way up and you can um, then select all the equipment that you need um, via this program and then um, actually you can swing your mobile phone into your abdomen and sort of figure out how long you have to hold for and roughly like the strength you need to do it um, in order to activate the pen Um, and so that was something that patients found would be really useful just to practice a number of times virtually um, before they had to go and inject something into themselves. So they kind of got used to the whole process and procedure. So I'm allergic to bees and I'm just thinking about how much I could have benefited from something like this as a kid, um, you know, having to practice using an EpiPen. Yeah, that's exactly pretty much what we did was one of the, a lot of the parents were saying, I'm worried because I usually have EpiPen practice and I haven't been able to do that when, when social distancing. So that was another reason as well was um, EpiPens were a big driver of, of that development. Yeah, I mean, it has directions on it, but um, it can be confusing. And especially if you're a kid, um, you know, or if you're you're not able to read, uh, it's just a Really cool idea. I'm actually kind of surprised we didn't have it before. Yeah, I mean, I think in in the heat of the moment when you're, yeah, when you're worried about anaphylaxis, most people forget how to do it. So if you can mm. encourage it through muscle memory, um, it sticks with you a lot more than having to remember all the, you know, different rhymes that they have and, and ways to remember, you know, which way the pen is up and those sorts of things. So I'm asking everyone I talked to for this project about um, instances that they may have seen or experienced during the pandemic um, where technology actually helped to facilitate empathy. Um, And I know that Smiley Scope was created with a lot of empathy. And, you know, in the basic use of it, that's definitely a major player. But is there any other way that you have seen in your work that technology has helped to facilitate empathy during this time? I mean, I think the thing that really jumps to mind is, you know, with with telehealth and with um, being able to do video conferencing, there are a lot of people that we couldn't see previously um, that we've been able to then connect with and still continue to support. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I can see in terms of tech and um, being able to facilitate, really be that channel for empathy um, and connection during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, for SmileyScope, we've definitely seen that, you know, there's been staff that because of social distancing, there haven't been as many people in the room um, for a lot of these procedures. And so being able to have something like SmileyScope, be able to talk a child through and support them from that psychological perspective um, has been really helpful. And uh, interestingly, we see a lot of the clinicians who have started using SmileyScope and over time, they pick up a lot of the positive language and mm. that empathy um from the headset that they introduce, you know, because they can hear all the audio cues 
um, as they go through the virtual reality experience. And we see a lot of those clinicians are picking up the language to kind of have better procedures with their patients as well. That is so interesting. You hear people talk about how virtual reality, especially, but, um, you know, all kinds of empathic technology um, can't replace actual human connection, especially in something like a medical setting. And this is such a cool example of, um, you know, I love the visual of a clinician putting on the headset, having this experience, and then using what they learn from that in their one-on-one human in real life interactions. Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting for us as well. So Dr. Chan, given your experience and, um, you know, the past year or so, but also just your life as a clinician and what you know about technology now, what do you think about the future of feeling? For me, I'm generally optimistic. I think technology is getting there where we're obviously still can't replace humans but I think tech is becoming much more personalized we're getting a lot better feedback from data over time for example um, you know we've been starting to look at biofeedback where you know how can you change the technology and personalize it so that a patient um, you know can respond so if their heart rate is increasing how can you kind of help calm them down And so I think there's a lot that we can learn from technology and how we can apply that um, and how we can then for better catered to a particular person and personalize that. So I think the future feeling um, has a lot of hope and excitement in my mind. Yeah, that's great to hear. I do wonder, I, um, last week I, um, aired an interview with a person who does a lot of work in biometrics and empathic technologies. um, And we talked a lot about data and the ethics surrounding that. And I'd be curious your thoughts, especially when it comes to the data that belongs to kids. Yeah, so I think with our technology, we've been really careful in terms of ensuring that all of the phones can, like everything is, is turned off. So it just purely runs the Smiling Scope therapeutic platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are completely HIPAA compliant as well as sort of all the software as medical device compliant. Um, but you're right. I think that is, is going to be something that we'll all need to tackle as we uh, have increasing data with our technology and in our interactions with them um, is how do we use this for good and how can we kind of make things um, easier for patients and and providers, um, but not be using that data in the wrong way. Yeah, I can feel myself getting excited about some of these things, about the idea of making things easier or um, more humane. But, you know, there's always that trade-off with technology as well. I think there are a lot of personal decisions to be made there, but I also think this is where the differences between um, different countries and jurisdictions comes in. Um, I'm actually not very familiar with the Australian system, but I know in Europe they've been doing a lot of work in this area um, to protect people. And in the U.S., you know, we're always working on some kind of legislation. Yeah, I mean, the Australian system is very fairly similar to the EU system in terms of regulatory and privacy laws. So, you know, uh, 
But I think overall, I think the principles are the same as the US. So, you know, ensuring that patient data is kept confidential, only uh, shared when required and only sort of to support um, betterment of, of the uh, clinical outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the principles are, are pretty much fundamentally the same. And then I think it's just the, the laws and specific regulations on top of that. Right. That's where it gets wonky and complicated. And we don't need to go into the weeds right now. This has been such a great conversation. I'm curious what you are excited about that's coming next for Smiley Scope. Um, and then also, I'd love for you to share uh, how listeners can find you. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I'm really excited about is um, digital therapeutics. So this idea that software can directly treat or manage or support a patient's condition um, alone or in conjunction with conventional medicines. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some really exciting opportunities that we're seeing um, in the digital therapeutic space um, with some leading companies like Pear Therapeutics or Achille um, who are helping in the substance uh, disorder space and um, with uh, ADHD. Mm. Um, and then we're also seeing that with SmileyScope as well is, you know, that we are being used to help support procedures and reduce the need for sedation and anesthesia. Um, so we're seeing some really exciting things here, which I think is how do we build technology and, and ensure that it's empathetic and well-delivered um, to kind of streamline and improve healthcare. So that's what's really exciting for me. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, one of the examples is we've currently got a medical uh, MRI app which can help socialise and teach patients, both children and adults, what an MRI scan would feel like and how the noises and mm. what uh, you know, claustrophobic the environment is before they get into that. And so it helps prepare them that experience and I think we found that to be uh, something that helps keep the patients a lot more calm and prepared but also kind of ensures that clinicians know which patients need additional support or might need um, you know sedation and anesthesia so that we can channel or triage them into the right places so they get the best care from the start. That's super interesting. I did an interview last year about a unique case um, where someone had a pituitary tumor and um, just kind of the innovative medical care that she received. And one of the things she had to do was wear this mask that kind of strapped her down so that she could get an MRI. Um, And she was a young child and she had a lot of anxiety about this. And so they um, added this kind of projection of Netflix for her to watch while that was going on. And it made such a huge difference for her. It was that plus literally just being able to walk in the room um, beforehand and kind of get acquainted with it that helped. So it's kind of amazing how these things can um, interact and work together to help relieve stress. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Just helps prepare them so that they're more empowered and know what to expect. Yeah, the more I listen to you, the more I wish that I had things like this when I was growing up. I was always really anxious at the doctor. And actually, my first medical memory um, is of, you know, I had a sore throat and I, the doctor was trying to get me to open my mouth. And he said, you know, I promise I'm not going to do a throat culture, which was at the time where they would stick a very long Q-tip and wiggle it around in the back of your throat. And it was very uncomfortable. Um, 
to test for strep throat and he promised. Um, but then of course, you know, guess what happened next? <laughs> he had to do it. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think ensuring that we still have a lot of trust with our patients um, mm. because you're right, those, those memories last into adulthood. Um, and so how do you kind of ensure that children are safe and have the right resources to be able to cope with it, but at the same time not be told it's not going to happen, right? So they've got to know the procedure's still going to happen, but how do we just reframe and think about it differently and give them the right skill set to, to be able to cope well with it? Right. And you don't want to rely too much on the technology, but it sounds like what you're finding is that it's just kind of augmenting um, the in-person experience um, between clinicians and their patients. So Dr. Chan, tell uh, the listeners how they can find you, how they can reach out if they have questions and want to know more. In terms of how to contact us, uh, it's smileyscope.com, so www.smileyscope.com, um, or info at smileyscope.com. So um, we are starting to work with some leading children's hospitals in the U.S. now and hopefully be able to expand that more broadly so that whenever you turn up to a doctor, uh, doctor's appointment or a nursing appointment that you've got the option of using SmileyScope as a support. Great. I can't wait for myself and for my daughter. (laughs) Well, thank you again. This has been such a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, And I hope we can keep in touch. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much, Caitlin. I really enjoyed reading the book and I'm really excited about this topic. I think it's such an important thing to just keep saying, you know, how are we going to navigate the challenges? How do we keep this uh, empathetic and personalised and, and having tech head in the right direction? Um, yeah. so it's such an important piece of work that you're doing. So thank you for that. Thanks so much for listening to the Future of Feeling podcast. As a reminder, this is a limited series right now, and I am the sole producer. I'd love to keep making it, and you can help by following on Spotify and sharing with a friend or two. You can also send feedback, questions, and guest suggestions by heading to CaitlinUgalik.com. That's K-A-I-T-L-I-N-U-G-O-L-I-K.com, and click the email me button. Talk soon.